0: It's a joy for me to uh, introduce someone who is uh, known to so many of you. Uh, Over most of my ministry here, we've been able to get uh, Max and Joe Myers in and out of Knoxville and have them come speak. Uh, They were in fact last, was it last summer? Uh, Last summer here in Knoxville while I was out And uh, Max preached for us, and I was in the grocery store that next week, and a group of our young people were bagging my groceries and getting me checked out, and they said, Who was that Australian man? Get him back. Get him back. We want him back. So we listened. We've got him back. Max was uh, uh, for—he's my favorite Aussie, and he was for many, many years uh, first a pilot for— Mission Aviation Fellowship in Papua New Guinea, and then uh, led that organization, MAF. And then when he left MAF, he uh, joined DAI. Uh, All of them seem to have three uh, letters. Uh, Development Associates International, if you remember one of our favorite mission speakers, Paul Borthwick, Jane Overstreet, they are also with DAI. And so he has spent his life and ministry not just getting the word out to people, but also training up leaders. And we are so grateful that he's here. He's gonna speak this morning. He's gonna speak again tonight here at six. Come back. Max.
1: Thank you. So you are the part of Cedar Springs that doesn't like getting up early in the morning. Is that right? (laughs) I can see. I have a confession to make. We go to the second service at our church too. <clears throat> and I bring you greetings from our church at home in Melbourne, Australia. I hope I won't be run out of town when I tell you it's a Baptist church. That doesn't mean too much because I love this place. We first came here over 20 years ago and wished that somehow in all of our meanderings around the world that the Lord would stop us and if he stopped us here we would so gladly and lovingly become a part of this congregation. You are a unique group of people. And uh, I I can only say that in all the churches that I have visited, and they are almost countless, all over this wide world, uh, you stand at the absolute apex in terms of balancing, as your pastor has just said, the whole business of worship and mission, A unique, a unique group of people have been led into doing great and wonderful things through the heroes and heroines that you support and some of whom are here today. It is good to be here and I bring you greetings from our church at home. We have churches within our church. We have a Chinese church that uh, all of its work, all of its messages, all of its services are in Mandarin. And uh, they are growing rapidly. They used to meet in one of the meeting rooms. Now they have to meet in the sanctuary because they are growing at such a rate. And they have planted a church uh, back in their home country and uh, we're seeing great things happen there. We have a a Farsi-speaking Iranian church within our congregation also. Um, And there are probably 150 people. I've never seen a rate of growth and uh, the result of discipleship, as I have seen in our Persian friends. And uh, on this Sunday, last Sunday, just another five of them, Muslim people who had come to Christ uh, as refugees living in Australia, standing up and giving their testimony in the Farsi language, so that other Farsi speakers uh, in the congregation could hear it in that language. Uh, and the English version is uh, put onto the screen at the back, thrilling stories of, uh, of bad, bad experiences in the past and finding release and wonder and finding eternity in Christ. Um, and it's a church within our church. And so Alan DeMond, our pastor, asked me would I bring you his personal greetings and the greetings of our church back there in Melbourne This Missions Conference also is unique. Um, I don't know how many you've had, but I spoke at a Missions Conference here a long, long while ago. Um, So there have been many, many conferences. My question to you people, not to you visitors, but to you people who come here, what difference have they made to you? And has there been an incremental change as the world has changed? And has the world has changing exponentially. And those who represent you out in that world have to be constantly changing and assessing uh, their strategies and their vision and adjusting their purpose to meet today and hopefully tomorrow's world. Um, and as they come and report to you year by year, Has it made a difference? It's entertaining, it's different, it's it's fresh, I suppose, but what is your personal commitment to mission uh, within this unique church activity? And how is it changing? How is it changing your life? How are you changing to meet the changing arena in which we work? And so I could come and talk to you about the world, but I don't think that's necessary with the wonderful program you have uh, of bringing these people to you and giving you almost one-on-one time with them so that they might explain and, uh, and illustrate and reveal to you what you are doing in all of these places around the world. I could talk about the world, but I don't need to. Um, I want to talk about you. I want uh, uh, to have you... Just think a little bit more about your relationship. Socrates, it was, who said the unexamined life is not worth living. And that is true. So I wonder how long it is, how often it is, how regular we are in examining our life before God. Francis Schaeffer in the Labrie program in Switzerland was constantly asking, how then shall we live? Would you ask that every week, every month, every year? Do we change that often? How shall we live in the year 2016, 17, 18, and on and on and on? The fundamental non-negotiables, they remain, upon which we stand, but how do we work? How do we think? Socrates also said, and I haven't come here to talk about Socrates, but he also said an amazing statement, I cannot teach anybody anything I can only make them think. And so I want to see if I can make you think today. I'm no Socrates. I have the edge on Socrates. Very distinctly and clearly, because he did not, to my knowledge, ever quote from Jeremiah 15, verse 19. And it says this, that I can quote, and that I believe you can quote. For the Lord said through Jeremiah... If you utter worthy and not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. That's an incredible statement. Do you want, in in the way your life is ordered, do you want to be a spokesman of God? Are you prepared to take that risk? Are you prepared to accept that challenge? And you do it through your people here, but I'm asking about you in your position here in Knoxville or wherever wherever you live in this locality. And so my, my message today is directly to you. Where are you? How long? Is it since you have stopped to listen, not to the earthquake, not to the rushing wind, not to the mighty sound, but that still, small voice of God saying to you, this is the way, walk ye in it. And then compare with last year's. What was the way last year? Is God leading me in a contemporary, systematic, incremental change to meet the world? Is the Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church of 2017 and 18 going to be the same as what it was in the year 2005 and 6? And how are you changing? And so I want to, there was no scripture reading in the earlier part of the service, but I want to read you not a long scripture, just, just a couple of verses. And and I thought as I was concentrating on these verses. Are these things that you speak about at a missions conference? Um, I think they are. And they come, they're well known to you. You will know them. You'll hardly need to follow them in your Bible. But they come from the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. And Paul is writing to these new Christians. And he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god this is your spiritual act of worship to offer your bodies as living sacrifices can you hear a still small voice not mine Saying that to you, what does it mean to you? And then he goes on, and this is the phrase I want to take out and speak about particularly, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. So the implication is they are conforming to the pattern of the world. They are creatures of their culture. And the voice comes along. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. And I'm asking you to listen to that voice from God as American people living within the strength of what you call American culture. Do not conform to its pattern Have I The audacity to come along and tell a church full of American Christians not to conform to the pattern of being American? Well, I have. But I asked you to consider that this is the word of God. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind is a transformation. Has it happened in recent days to you? Has it happened to me? I ask myself. Or do I still plot along in the same old, same old? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. No longer live to the pattern of this world. And it is this verse that I want to open up to you today. And the end result is, so then you will know and will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Does anybody see the will of God implicitly and clearly out? This is the way or are you struggling day by day uh, trying to live in what could be said to be the will of God? And here are the conditions through which you can be confident in finding it. And here, at Mission Conference, globally, is the word of God to the Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church. And I have the responsibility to try and just mouth the words. But I want you to listen to what God might say to you. What does it mean to be conformed to the patterns of the world? And I talked about culture, and that's what I want to take out of it. It could mean all sorts of other things, and you could think through other things that might describe the pattern of the world, but let us imagine our culture. And I think this verse is telling us that unless... We allow our dealings with the Spirit of God unless the incisive, clear work of the Spirit of God addresses the things of our culture and goes beneath them to find the fundamental level of our humanity. Men and women made in the image of God. That's where we meet Him. That's where we can find fulfillment in Him. But this verse implies to me that the other stuff above that, the cultural stuff, can be an impedance to the work of God. Where are you? You've had missions, conferences, you've had messages of power delivered. I've heard them, I've looked on your webpage. In fact, I see the names of people that have been here speaking at missions conferences and I think, why on earth do they ask an old bloke from Australia to come and talk to them at such an important time? But culture is important because it shapes us. You leave a child within a community and what happens to that child? The child adjusts itself, its thinking, and its language to the community in which it lives. And it it becomes marked by that cultural community. Where do you live? And so I want to give you some illustrations of how culture can be an impedance to the work of God. And the first one I'll start with is in where Joe and I had the privilege and honour of living for 11 years of our lives and then visiting there timeless, countless times after that in a leadership role rather than an activity role on the ground or in the air. There was a particular area, uh, the place is called La Palama. It's a very rugged, isolated, jungle place about five or 6,000 feet above sea level. It's a beautiful part of the New Guinea Highlands. The only way in is by airplane. And, uh, and we were used to take the word of God into that place. We were untrained. We were unprepared. We were culturally insensitive. We had, it was just pathetic when I think about what we do with young mission staff these days. And yet God somehow worked through us and he gave us the right to speak eternal words which were heard and understood and so a church was born and nurtured in its growth and that was back in the early 60s, a long while ago. Here's the church that's 50 years old. And a friend of mine was telling me he is the principal or the president of the Christian Leaders Training College in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. PhDs running off him. He's just an incredibly clever, wonderful man of God and a master of the scriptures. And he was out at this place, Lava Lama, dealing with church leadership, just encouraging them and talking to them about plans and purposes. And, And he was in this bush material house um, and go, they wanted to meet on in the night and, and so they were meeting there in the night, no electricity but the, there was enough light in the place and these men sitting around in their what would appear to be Western style clothes and uh, learning from this man enthralled by what he was saying and then a sound came out over the mountains, a calling, a, almost like a yodelling and it's the way that the people in their basic culture communicate and, and, and the, the town crier, I guess you would call him, he calls out of this strange ritualistic tone, calls out some message and it goes to the next mountaintop and then another one takes it to the next mountaintop. And so the whole area, the whole region gets to hear the news and everybody was startled by what they heard. They listened to this call that was coming, and within a couple of minutes, the room was empty. They're all gone. Everybody just got up and left, and left my friend, the teacher, sitting there on his own. But he's a Papua New Guinean. He knew what was going on, and so he he went out about, he said he went out about 10 minutes later, and there they all were, clothes discarded, back to their nakedness, putting on their old tribal belts, getting their bows and their arrows and their axes and their clubs, painting their bodies with grease, blackening their faces, getting ready for war. And the yodelling call that had come across the mountains was calling them together for a payback killing that needed to be done. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that basically, fundamentally they had never dealt with the patterns of the world and they stayed in that same primitive, not a good word these days, state. Do not be conformed to the patterns of the world in which you, from which you came and in which you lived. I'll give you another illustration. I spent a lot of my time in Russia um, teaching Russian church leaders the basic scriptural concept of leadership. The scripture is filled with it. These men were all theologians on this particular workshop. I think this one was down at Krasnodar in the south. And there were about 30 of them together, and they were all bishops of the evangelical church. No Orthodox people were there this time. And uh, it, it could be said it was the leadership of Russia in terms of the evangelical church. And they were wonderful, wonderful men, all men. And so I dealt, I took the first day, my Russian is somewhat pathetic to say the least, And so I started off with a a story about Nehemiah and opened to it. They knew all about Nehemiah. They knew it more intimately than I did. So I just drew out, asked them, what is there about a pattern of leadership. You see. how did Nehemiah lead? And then we got on to the king, Saul and David and Solomon. And my simple question was, I want you to think, get your Bibles out and look through them and think about the rulership, the the ruler of these three men. What things did God frown on and what things did God smile on? What things were successful and what things were disastrous? And see if we can somehow, you find... God's pattern of leadership. It was a great day. And they were totally and absolutely engaged on that day. The next day we came to meet and my Russian colleague took it and he's a better facilitator than I am. Of course he has the language. And, and so he started on New Testament models. And it didn't take long before I could see these, we're losing these guys. They were, <laughs> any of you who teach, you, when, when looks start going sideways and little conversation, you, you know that people aren't engaged. I can't see anybody looking sideways here. <laughs> um, but they, we had lost them, and, and it went on for an hour or two. And what's going on here? Until one of them, a very impressive man from Sebastopol in, in, the, uh, in Ukraine down in, in the Crimea, he he got up and he spoke in English and he said, they have a significant problem with today's activity. And he wanted to tell me about it. And he said, I want Max to respond to our problem. Yesterday, he said, when you talked about the Old Testament kings and the Old Testament leaders, it was absolutely wonderful. And it, it, we are beginning to establish a grid through which our scriptural stories will pass and yield to us leadership teachings. But when you get to Jesus, Max, it's hard for us. You talk about servanthood, Matthew twenty. The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and exercised authority over them. Not so with you. That's not the way that you rule a Jesus community, a Jesus community. And he talked. We talk, He talked about shepherding. I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. They know my name. I know their names. He said. And then he said, you talk about empowerment, the sharing of authority of leadership. And he went on through a number of things, and and he said, Max, you have to understand, this is Russia. That style of leadership will not work here. It turned out to be a profoundly good workshop. It was excellent because we just said, let's stop. You think and teach me about Russian culture and what has developed over your history as the, as, as the years have gone by to make Russian men think this way so that when they become believers, these things are in absolute antipathy and, and just acrimonious and if you take servanthood out of the gospel, if you take shepherding out of the gospel, if you take empowering out of the gospel, is this God's gospel for Russia? Is it different? And we had a a marvellous time. It was a beginning of new things for them. My point is, they were conformed to the patterns of the world and they acknowledged it. And they dealt with it. I think of Rwanda, that's the worst case, so I'll tell you that one. Those of you who don't know, that Russia was the show place of Africa, uh, Rwanda, I'm sorry, Rwanda in Africa. It was the show place of Africa for missionary things. Missionary tourists would come just to see how church is done in an African community. It was just a wonderful place. But then in 1993, Something happened there and it all burst open, and the church just exploded because they were Hutus and Tutsis primarily, and historically they hated each other. And something caused that hatred to burst through their Christianity, and they murdered each other for 100 days. 800,000 people killed in 100 days. And incidentally, the world did nothing about it. And I saw that. I saw the agony and the death and the brutality. What happened? Did the gospel not have enough power to go down through that stuff and deal with the Hutu Tutsi stuff and get down to the common, basic, fundamental humanity to which we all belong and and where God works? Can you see why Paul thought it so important to put this in? Be not conformed to the patterns of this world. What about Islam? My goodness, what a challenge. I met my brothers last night here who are working in Beirut. Man, what an amazing thing this church is doing in Beirut through these two people alone. God bless them. I hope they feel supported and loved and undergirded by every single one of you. They're in the very heartbeat of the world's greatest needs and, and challenges right now. Think of Islam. In Australia, we have a nation right next to us. In Indonesia, 160, 196 million Islamics are on our doorstep. What do we do about them? What do we do about the people in Saudi Arabia, rich with oil? They can do anything they like. And then you go to Africa and see the villages, the the Islamic villages, stood in in, uh, Kabul, Afghanistan uh, some years ago when we were beginning a work there and one of the leaders came out and stood on the steps. He was Islamic to the toenails and he swept his arms around and he said, Look what Islam has done for us over an almost destroyed city. We look at the complexity of it. I saw a BBC interview not that long ago, just a few weeks ago, where the interviewer was talking to an Islamic leader and asking him his reaction to the American and coalition forces and what they had done and, and to the Taliban and what they were in the process of doing. I was blown away by what this guy said. He said the Americans in the coalition, they, they have helped us immensely. And they, they, they just, it has been so, so good. But the Taliban belong to us. They are our brothers. They, yes, they rape us and they kill us. This guy is crazy. I don't understand that. Who understands the the fullness of of Islamic culture. And we would say, it's beyond us. We can't do much about it. What can we do to the man who thinks it's great and so heroic to stand in front of a television camera with a knife while he cuts off some hostage's head? That's beyond Cedar Springs Church, isn't it? That's beyond what you can do. You can't touch that. It's not beyond God. And you, my friends, are the people of God. And his word for you today is if you want to be the people of God, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. How do you do that? I hope that I'm making you think because I'm not American. I don't have all the answers. (laughs) I heard on the web that young lady from Turkey speaking to you last year. I know my friend Daniel Shayester very well. He stayed in our home when he was in Melbourne recently. You can't get much deeper into fundamental Islamic terror than being a founder of Hezbollah. And that's what he was. And his testimony as to how he found Jesus would make you cry. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that you or I can ask or speak or ever dream of and we, you and I, are the people of God. He has infused His Spirit within us for us to be His arms, His legs, His mouth, His mind. How do we do that if we're conformed to this pattern? We can go and stand on the street corners in any city of the world, some of them with great danger, and we can witness to our faith and we can have the return tickets to America firmly planted in our hip pockets so they don't get lost, so that we go home again. How do we do it? How do we do it? And are you satisfied with yourself as a part of this church in terms of fulfilling the purposes of God? He trusts us with this task. But he also provides a solution. There is only one way. There is only one way to meet this requirement, and we read it. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How does that rub in always looking for safety, America? I'm like you, I'm very religious. Re- religious. I tell people I'm a very religious man, I'm a devout coward. I don't like pain, I don't like danger. But I have to look at this verse and say, my God, my body belongs to you. And it's more important than the patterns of this world. I can be besieged by greed, the same as you, looking at my retirement, looking at my house, looking at my kids, looking at my cars, all this stuff. The patterns of this world, but he wants my body as the only way by which I can live at the fundamental level where he wants to work with us. And that involves the transforming of our minds. And he continues to love us. How can you meet the challenges of mission in the days ahead only by the depth of your devotion Jesus Christ only by the knowledge that you have of how he honors those who go and seek the lost for him and I've probably spoken too long but I'm going to tell this story nonetheless it happened years ago in Papua New Guinea a very primitive place a lot of cannibalistic activity in the United Nations were stressing Australia and other countries to make a nation out of it and to somehow get the seven or eight hundred language groups who were distinct cultures within that country, uh, but they fought each other, they hated each other. How do you make a nation of those people? One of the things they decided to do was was to bring them all together, even though they were enemies. And so the word went out, it was six months of messages going around, we're going to have this great big whatever they called it a show come in your finery come in your culturally significant things come and show off who you are and we'll all show off together and it was something National Geographic was there in strength and uh, the media of the world never seen anything like it so it was the second of these and I decided I had somewhere to go near there in my plane and so I I took one of my kids, we have five sons, and I took my second son, Tim. He was just a little kid. And it was a stupid thing to do. I should never have taken him there. It brought me anguish, but it brought me great lessons. And Joe had dressed him up in this lovely little white smock thing. And we went into this big acres of ground with 50 or 60,000 warriors all dancing in a great, big, massive circle, all with their faces blackened and their eyes white and their bird of paradise feathers poking up into the sky and and their bodies greased with pig fat and their ornamental, uh, well, I won't tell you what the ornaments were, but nonetheless, ornamental things around their arms and around their bodies and we just, got in that mass of people. They all were chanting and yelling their own war songs and it was close to debacle, but it was staggeringly impressive. And Tim was up on top of my shoulders and there were people everywhere, feathers in my face, feathers in his face. And he said, Daddy, could I get down? So I, I let him down, held onto his hand, walked along. By this time, I was thinking, not a good place to be with a little boy. And because of the grease that we had gotten from the bodies that rubbed against us, his hand slipped and he was gone in an instant. Just gone in this sea of primitive yelling, fighting, dancing warrior men. I can't tell you the degree of anguish that I felt. And I I was looking down on my knees, being pushed over, trying to find him. I couldn't find him. The crowd was moving us forward. I didn't know whether to go with the crowd or to fight my way back to where I had lost him. I was totally out of control. And I remember crying out to God. There was so much noise, but God could hear. God, I've lost my son. Oh, it was agony. Agony. And it went on and on, minute after minute, I began to look right down close to the ground to find his trampled body. It was an uncontrollable situation and you certainly couldn't have blamed the men who would have trampled him. I went right around that group, it took about a half an hour, and then I found him. This little kid, filthy, filthy dirty his face all covered in mud, his tears had washed into the dust that was all everywhere. And he he just ran to me and he buried, you know, the way they do it, Dad's buried his head alongside my ear and he cried out in his little four-year-old language, Daddy, I was been trying to find you. I will never forget that moment. The first thing I thought about, how does God look upon the lost? Who does he send to find them? And there standing with my son was a little Papua New Guinean boy about this high, a little miniature warrior with all of his birds of far- paradise, his face blackened, white eyes, and... Spears, arrows, bows, a stone club in his little bark belt. And he had found my son and taken him to safety and brought him to me. If I'd had a $1,000 in my pocket, I would have given it all to that kid. I gave him everything I had. I tell you that story not just to talk about the feelings of God over the lost. I want to tell you, with these people in the centre, well know, God has a special love for those who find the lost and bring them home. That's your task. There is no greater task It's impossible to do it just as who you are, where you are. It requires a transformation. It requires a sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God. That is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove and attest and know the will of God for you. I guess I'm just asking Cedar Springs Church Are you up to it? Thank you.